Welcome back to another episode of Content Lab. I am Impact's Editor-in-Chief, Liz Moorhead. And as always, my co-host, my pal, my logophile friend of mine, John Becker, Impact Revenue and Features Editor. How are you today? Hey, Liz. Doing great. How's the weather up there? I'm so curious because right now I feel like I should be writing... I should be Emily Bronte or Jane Austen looking out this rainy jury window, writing, writing about repressed feelings. That's no. the weather down here in Maryland. No, 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 no. Um, if you want the full Connecticut experience right now, put on a bathrobe, go into a sauna and like dump a five gallon bucket of water onto the heater. Oh, that sounds absolutely outstanding. Lovely. I, we got, um, we had this huge storm roll through last night and I opened the door like, oh, thank goodness, a thunderstorm finally to break through it'll cool off and it was like walking into a butt it was very unpleasant did not enjoy it my yelp review of walking outside this morning was zero out of five stars zero okay well actually i think on yelp you technically have to put one you can't do a zero star review so i guess one for the sky i have no idea i can't believe we're sitting here talking about the weather john oh my god you brought how far we've fallen well, it's uh, it's always something to talk about. <laughs> so let's go get our uh, Metamucil, our Werther's. <laughs> Stay in the robes and I'll meet you on the rocking chair to discuss children and how they don't show respect anymore. But before we get to children on our lawns or off our lawns, you came to me with a very interesting topic today that initially I thought you were trying to take me back to high school with like a standardized math problem. Like Anna has five bananas. Billy has 24. Reggie wants 45, but at a pace of three per hour. But it's not that actually. We're talking about paying an agency to do your content and how cost effective it is, right? Yeah, that's correct. And, and for anyone who listens to this show, we talk a lot both in this show and at Impact in general, about uh, how insourcing your content management, insourcing your content creation is is the better path forward because you get a writer who's going to be, you know, who's going to sound like your business, who's going to be able to produce more articles more frequently, be more responsive to your needs, et cetera. And we also, we also even talk about it like it's morally the right thing to do, you know, that, that it's, it's, it makes sense to own your own your content. Marcus Sheridan always says, content is the soul of your business. And if you, I don't know, was it him? I, at least I've heard him say that. Maybe someone else said it first. But content is the soul of your business. And if you pay someone else to produce it, you never really own it. And yeah. we, we that's like, that's a story that we, or, or that's, a, that's a kind of directive that we give to our audience pretty frequently. And our whole model is based on training you so that you can uh, you can write the content that's going to bring revenue into your business. You know, it is funny the way you phrase that. Like, I- I've talked to people about this topic, and you're right. There's almost a gross oversimplification that happens sometimes. Like, good people write their own content. Are you a bad person? Are you a bad person who pays an agency? But the core of the, I'm very excited to talk about this conversation today because I actually used to be a content specialist within an agency. And I know agencies come in all shapes and sizes, 
everybody has their own overhead count, how they choose to handle content for their clients, things like that. But, and I don't know if this is where we want to start this conversation today, John. So feel free to say, Liz, that's your delightful flower. That's a beautiful statement. And I have a different question and we'll come back to that later. But one of the things that has always jumped out at me when I think about my time as a content specialist at, at an agency is that I could never pinpoint it, but there was always this feeling, even when it was good, that as the content creator or the person tasked with creating content for our clients or interviewing the subject matter experts, depending on how the, the agreement was set up, is that it was never quite what they wanted it to be. And at some point they just settled, you know, like, okay, this is as good as it's going to be. Yeah. And I think that's true. And, and I have to speak honestly that I don't have this direct experience that this topic came from a conversation that I had with a colleague that was really interesting to me and then turned into a, a webinar. So um, you can find a, a longer interview based around this, his experience as a, as a writer for, for an inbound agency. Um, and so I'm hoping that our show today could kind of blend some of your experience, Liz, and some of what, uh, what my research has, has shown. But I think you're exactly right, that the most talented writer um, still, just based on how the model works, how the communication structure works, ultimately, even with the most talented writer at an agency, the end result of the content might not measure up to the client's expectations or hopes. Yeah. And one thing I hope we dive into today is this, and I don't know whether I let the cat out of the bag now, but there are so many agencies where you're outsourcing your content to that agency, but then they're turning around and outsourcing it to another company of freelancers because it's really expensive to have content creators in-house, especially at an agency. It's, it's a finite resource that you have to hire or scale down depending on what your portfolio clients is. Like, it's not something that's traditionally hired for in a lot of agencies. I know some of that has changed in the past few years. More agencies have some content specialists in-house, but I mean, it, it's surprising to me how that relationship is managed. But before we start going down too many tangential paths, talk to me, John, about where this conversation came from. I understand, you know, we this, this is the thing that we talk about with a lot of our clients at Impact, right? We talk about the fact that if you want to have that thing that people who really care about their content are looking for, for their business's content, which is like, it needs to have our soul. It needs to have that thing that it factor that makes it something that came from us, right? And the best way to do that is in-house. And yet we still have, we talk to businesses all the time that cling to this notion of, but I feel like I'm getting more out of an agency. I feel like it's the most cost-effective thing to do. So can you talk to me a little bit about that disparity? Because while I may have the in-house agency experience, you're a little bit closer to that side of the conversation. The potential misconceptions that people might have about it being more cost-effective to outsource your content. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a fear factor there that outsourcing makes you believe that you're getting the most, uh, the most expertise for your buck. You know, that, that like, if you were to hire an internal, uh, internal content writer, you have to train them, you have to, you know, have to find them, you have to train them. You, there, there's, 
And even after that, which as we've covered before, is not nearly as lengthy or as involved a process as you might think. It's not going to be a, a six-month ordeal to get someone hired and, and into your company writing. But I think there's there's the worry that even when you do, or even if you do, if you hire someone to write content internally, there's the fear that they're going to miss something. They're going to not know enough about SEO or not know enough about content structure or strategy or something. And if you pay an agency, you're getting that, that expertise and maybe that's just worth paying for. There, I, that's the fear factor, I think. And, and it's so interesting to hear you say, Liz, that you're hiring the agency, the agency might be turning around and serving as a middleman to pick a freelancer. And then they're kind of recouping all of that extra profit that you know, you're not realizing is going to them. Okay. I got it. You're seeing me make a lot of faces as you're talking through this. And I want to explain exactly why our audience can't see me making faces, but I'm just absorbing all of this information. But like, okay. So the fear is that you hire someone internally, you have to train them, you hire an agency and they already know the stuff. I have never in the position as a content specialist at an agency working with clients immediately been able to buckle in and be like, all right, without knowing anything, without training, I can start writing for you. Absolutely not. I go through the exact same learning curve as an in-house specialist at an agency for you as my client as I would if you were just hiring me as your content manager. But the added bonus is you're paying us more and my time is not as focused on you. I have- Say that again to make, us, make me sure, like to make sure that everyone gets that. We're, we're paying us more, what do you mean? So you're paying an agency more money, right? You're paying an agency more money because you're getting reporting, strategy, email market, <laughs> marketing, landing pages, all of these things, right? And then you're also getting this content specialist. And then you have this very rigid deliverables-based contract. That's usually how it works. Sometimes there's points involved so you can be, quote, more agile, but it takes like 18 meetings to ever change anything in a contract or to figure out how those new points are gonna be allocated, right? So this is your structure with your agency. You've hired this elite squad of expert and content marketing ninjas. And me as part of this package deal is there, right? So you're paying us all this money, but guess what? You are not my only client. So you are paying someone who has divided attention who is going to be paying attention to the easiest clients or the ones who pay the most money. And even the ones who pay the most money who become sometimes, you know, needy, whatever, that's totally fine. I'm still divided toward other people and you still have to train me. And if you decide that whatever strategy, velocity, quantity, whatever isn't working, it's always going to take longer to implement changes. Like, this, I know that this is a bit of a long, long-winded answer, but the reality is, is that this idea that there's this plug-and-play approach that you can adopt with agencies when it comes to your content is, is asinine. It's not true. And that's not to say there aren't agencies that can, in some ways, do this well. If they have the right expertise in-house if they're able to create a talent density that is deep enough for you to feel like you're getting the qualified attention you need. However, you're always going to have someone's divided attention, not undivided attention. They will never build 
the trust necessary with the people that they need to be interviewing potentially to create your content. They will never be as close as they could be to your business as someone who is your employee, who cares about your mission, who is part of your company culture, who understands what it is that you do, who you are, those unspoken values, those unspoken rules. I'm not to toot my own horn, but I'm a great writer and I'm a great subject matter interviewer, right? But at the same time, I can only get as close as possible. There's, there's always going to be an, an invisible line, a threshold I can never cross because I'm not in-house and I am not devoted to you. I am someone else's employee, not yours. And when you're someone else's employee, the reality is that you are working on an hourly schedule or, or some sort of cadence where you are, you are billing your time according to a certain, um, yeah, you know, according to whatever that task is. And, and this is where my conversation with our colleagues started. So he was describing his experience. So he was working remotely for an agency in New York City, an, an inbound agency. And when they worked with clients. So my, my whole, s- the genesis of all of this was imagining okay, for each dollar you spend with an agency, like, what are you getting? And, and um, mm-hmm. what, what do you, where's that dollar going? And so this was, this was interesting to me. And again, I'd be interested to hear your experience as well. But uh, according to him, his agency would charge their clients eight hours for an article. So how it worked was the client would sort of use a retainer model where they would pay for a certain number of hours of work from that agency. As you said, it could go into reporting or strategery or email marketing or, or anything else. Um, and, and content marketing was part of it. And so if you paid for, you know, hundred hours a month, um, each article that you would, uh, you know, that you would request or that you would ask for was, was eight hours. And so, if you're paying, in this case, something like $150 per hour, that means that your eight hours is you know, more than $1,000 per article. So, you know, that, that's what you're paying. And so we, I started like kind of trying to dig into that a little bit. And if you're paying for eight hours or $1,000 for an article, how much of that is actually going to that writer? And as you said, Liz, like if that agency is actually even outsourcing to another writer, where's where's all the where's all this extra money going? Because even if you're paying that writer, you know, twenty dollars, thirty dollars, forty dollars an hour, uh, which is a pretty good clip for for a content writer, there's still another, you know, hundred dollars per hour that's going to the agency profit the agency's profit or to agency overhead. The ability to hire the content specialist in-house because every content specialist in-house has their own overhead. So this is where it gets kind of interesting. And I love that you brought this up. So just a clarifying question here. So he worked as a content specialist, but he was remote. Was he a full-time employee or was he like a contracted writer? He was full-time. Full-time. Okay. So a couple of things there that I want to point out. Number one, I always get very wary of getting in the business of saying, well, how much is a blog article writer worth really? I mean, you and I both know how much effort and work and all of that stuff, you know, like 
spending time building trust and rapport with the subject matter experts, understanding who they are. Like there's a lot of soft stuff that I don't think, like there's a tendency, not all the time, and this is not true of everyone, but there's a tendency sometimes to underestimate how much effort, skill, expertise, time goes into being a really rock star content manager, right? What gets, so I want to put that all out there to say like, this isn't something to say like, well, a blog article isn't worth a thousand dollars. If the blog article you publish then turns around and brings you a 1.4 million in profit uh, or revenue, then I think it's done its job as has the person who, who brought it up. hundred percent, completely agree. And I, I agree that, that this is not about um, the value of content, because as you said, content is, or can be invaluable. It can be essential to, you know, obviously bringing in, in revenue, but also building brand awareness, et cetera. My question was, um, and I think the big argument that we make around why bringing in, hiring a content writer internally, first of all, is you're going to get more content out of that person. So if you're, uh, an article might take eight hours, Sure, it might take less, it might take more. An agency is never gonna lose money on that deal. They're always gonna kind of build in that, like the, the padded time so that mm-hmm. if, an article, if an article takes that content writer five hours, you're not gonna recoup those other three hours that you, that you allotted to that piece of content. I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit there because I also know, like I've been in the agency world now for seven, eight years, somewhere around that mark. And I've talked to a lot of people in different agencies and often it depends on how the deal is scoped. I mean, here's the thing. It kind of cuts both ways. Either the agency has built enough padding in there that it really doesn't matter how much it gets screwed up. They're making money or, or they're an agency who is potentially created a situation where there's always going to be scope creep. Someone in sales in order to get the deal to close, potentially shaved off a few dollars here, shaved off a few dollars there. So that way that that relationship is always running at a loss, which means you end up in a situation where the content creator gets their hands on this client and they're always going to be running behind on time. They're always going to be overextended across their entire portfolio of clients because sometimes this is just what happens. I'm just being honest. Mm -hmm. Not every agency deal is bulletproof because sometimes, and this is true of any business, whether we're talking about agencies or something else that is retainer-based. There are always going to be off cases where in order for the deal to close, there had to be a sales maneuver that potentially brought down the cost of something that will potentially create opportunities for scope creep or the fact that it's always operating at a loss. So there's, there's that piece of it. The other piece of it to keep in mind, though, is think about it this way, right? So you've got this beautiful structured retainer deal. Let's pretend those scope creep issues the misscoping, whatever, that like those don't exist. It's a perfectly scoped deal. How easy would it be for that particular content creator who potentially you have a great relationship, right? They're turning around one, maybe two articles per week. Um, and you now want them to double, right? Because you're seeing some traffic, some traffic traction, but you know, as we teach all of our clients, that in order to really start like accelerating the traffic leads and sales you're seeing from your inbound marketing strategy and your content, you need to be at a pace of three to four. Three is, is kind of the basement of that. Two, I, I start getting really anxious about it and how much you really want to see your results from your content. Three is that sweet spot. How so just, easy- Just to, just to remind, you're saying publishing three articles per week. Correct. Sorry, that wasn't clear. So- 
how easy would it be for you to then go to that agency and increase the volume? So you're going to run into a couple of issues here. First of all, it's going to inflate your costs dramatically. Second of all, that's also making the gross assumption that that person is even available. They'll have to do some restructuring internally because that person, again, has divided attention for you, not undivided. And that creates a lot of complexities. Whereas if you want to ask your in-house content manager to throttle content, go uh, maybe pull back how much you're publishing, push out more that you're publishing, take on different things. I mean, obviously don't work this poor person to the bone, but you're not suddenly sitting there renegotiating a contract in the thousands. Right. It's their job. And I think that's you know that's the big point today, and, and I think you're you're right, and I trust your expertise that and your experience that all agencies and all contracts are are different, and um, they could be apples you know apples to to oranges even um, you know in comparing them. But I, I think the the big point here is a, a sort of responsiveness and a scalability that are are really difficult and expensive with an agency. So if, if you are um, you know, if you've retained an agency for a certain amount of, of work, building from that more content, you know, doubling your content production means either you're spending a lot more or you're ratcheting back other aspects of that contract. And that can get, like you said, really pricey really quickly. And I think the big, the big point here to me is that you might even ha- you know might even be the 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 theoretically the sort of same writer and um, you know paying an agency you're you're paying more and getting less and not having that relationship uh, the publication is is less frequent the um, editing and revision po- uh, process can be more uh, laborious and limiting um, and ultimately the the results are are not as compelling. Here's the other reality too. Um, I was, I wanted to pull the stat for today because I think it's really important. You know, the average client agency relationship now lasts less than three years, less than three years. In 1997, that number was about five and a half years. And about 13 years prior to that, it was 7.2. Even if you find a writer that you like at an agency, even if you find that unicorn who is able to adapt, to understand your voice as close as as they can get to it, they'll never trip that threshold. We always have to accept that. They will never be as good as an in-house employee, no matter how talented they are. You're going to be churning through them because you are married to the agency, not to that specific writer. And there is no planet under there. There's no planet in which you are able to break up with an agency, but be like, but still, I want to keep this writer. And I want to be clear. This comes down to setting up this writer for success, right? Like, again, let's say you found that unicorn. It's not that it's a different person. It's that that person who like, let's say you took that agency unicorn and plopped them into being your full-time employee. Imagine how powerful they would be as your full-time employee. It's about limiting their potential. It's not about finding the right person. You can find the right person, but the minute you put them behind four walls of a different building with a business that has different goals than your own and potentially 
15 other businesses vying for their attention as their client. I don't understand how logic doesn't dictate the fact that like, there's always going to be a limit. There's always going to be a line of quality they can't cross. And that was what always frustrated me. I remember when I first started working at Impact, um, I was coming from a smaller agency where I had been leading our content for our clients. Um, And Bob Ruffalo and I uh, had a conversation and I said, you know, at some point we're going to have to decide what kind of agency we're going to be. Um, you can't ask digital marketing specialists who are generalists to also be content creators. This was at a time though, when people were still learning about content managers, right? Um, and, or we're going to have the deep bench that will be able to support what our clients need. And then when we merged with the sales lion back in 2017, um, it all kind of became clear. You know, the principle of they ask you answer from Marcus Sheridan is that content created in-house is always going to have the heart, the soul, the velocity, the ability to meet your goals in a way that outsourced content will never be able to match. And so I want to be very clear in telling that anecdote. It wasn't like, wow, Bob woke up one day and went, wow, Liz was so right. You know, that was a decision made without me in the room. And I highly doubt I had any involvement in it. But I remember thinking that at the time and that a lot of agencies are going to have to make that choice. It is exceptionally hard to do content well. And I've worked with a number of agencies and now worked at a number of agencies. And every single time, the pain point in a relationship is content. It's it, whether it's on a website project, that's where the website project goes off the rails. If it's a standard inbound marketing agency retainer relationship, it's the blog articles. Either somebody's not delivering, it's not the number of blog articles promised, it's not the quality, there's a problem. Like the content is where all the messiness happens. It's because it's not in your house. That's my yeah. little tyrant. No, I love it. And and you and I obviously agree on this. And, and you said it before, like, you know, quality content is hard to produce. It is labor intensive. It is. And sometimes it's hard to articulate what makes one piece of content better than another or what makes something not sound right. But I think having that, having that writer in house and, and sometimes that writer could be or I'll, I'll get back to that. But having that writer in-house allows that kind of, you know, that revision process, that editorial process to be more, you know, more collegial, more uh, more responsive, uh, and ultimately more effective. Like, you know, we, we said before we started recording, I've been doing a lot of website copy work. And that's a lot of like a lot of heads in the room, a lot of back and forth, a lot of like drafting and revision. And and honestly, like a lot of debates over language, you know, small things like like what's what's the best word here? And uh, thinking about having all of those conversations, you know, on the clock or or not really having um, direct access to the people who are like or or just sort of more steps between the the business and the, and the people writing that content or or putting it on a website, it just can turn it into less of a less of a process that feels collaborative and that feels efficient and more like a game of telephone. Yeah, I really like your point there. Essentially what you enable someone to do is that, you know, when you have an agency relationship, when it comes to your content, you are always trying to shove your business's unique needs, people, goals, culture 
into the cookie cutter mold of their process. A process that has a little bit of agility, but for the most part really doesn't. Or you're hiring someone internally to build processes unique to your people, your culture, your needs, your goals, your challenges, all of them that are specific to your company, right? So you have that situation where you're not always trying to make a square peg fit in a round hole. And that's essentially what you're always trying to do whenever you're like, that's an agency relationship with a client when it comes to in-house content. And I say this as someone with a lot of agency friends and as someone who is a very passionate agency-based content creator, that is essentially what you're doing. Sometimes the edges on that square are a little bit rounder than others. So it may seem like it'll fit, but at some point you're going to cross that threshold and that relationship will break. The other side of this is that, okay, I sometimes feel like people develop amnesia when it comes to paying an agency and outsourcing. Because I think if we were to remove agency, like let's pretend we're not talking about agency. If I were to just say, John, on the whole, whether we're talking about somebody fixing something in your house, building you a table, working with you on content, it doesn't matter. Will it be cheaper for you to do it yourself or will it be cheaper for you to outsource it? Obviously cheaper to do it myself. Yes, exactly. The materials, the whatever, you know, it's always going to be cheaper to do it yourself. Now, there are certain things, obviously, where there's a threshold of expertise. For example, the garbage disposal in this house needed to be replaced yesterday. So I was not going to YouTube to learn how to install a garbage disposal. The thing is, though, is that's not a skill I need to have all the time. I'm not going to be replacing a garbage disposal every single week, right? But when we talk about agency relationships, people forget that it's always going to be more cost-effective to have it in-house. Always. Because when we ask people to do things for us, there is a premium charged for that. So why not have that extra money that you're spending be in-house for the skill that you're going to need all the time? The one thing that is uh, the one skill set that you need in house that will never go out of style is someone who knows how to write. You will never, ever not need that to some degree. You will always need someone to help you with landing pages, website copy, writing content for your company, writing emails, social media, anything having to do with making awesome words that make people excited to work with your business, that help communicate the value of what you do, that help establish you as that number one teacher in your space. Why on earth would you outsource that to someone who is trying to do that for every other business on the planet? And it'll cost more. I love the uh, I love the homeowner analogy, and, and I think, like you said, a garbage disposal. How often are you going to need to fix that? God, Obviously, not every once. week. Oh, yeah, right, you know, once every ten years, something like that. So, of course, it makes sense to bring in an expert for something like that. But for any job, the more often you do it, you know, the more if you're paying someone to come to your house and and help you with it every single time. How many times is that? Are you going to do that before you start asking those questions and saying like, "I could do this myself. I could learn. I could do this better. I could do it exactly what I want, when I want to, how I want to, and I'm going to save a lot of money." And the great irony uh, is, though, is those clients usually are like, "I can do it myself," and then they're like, "Oh no, this takes a lot of time. Man, I wish I had someone in house. That's too expensive." And then they don't do it. Like it's this whole round and round thing. It's like, guys, guys, if you're willing to hire a PPC specialist, if you're willing to hire a website specialist, if you're willing to hire a specialist in anything, 
why won't you hire the word specialist? So you can do it yourself. Like, but yeah, that garbage disposal by our, our, our uh, rate, that was a one and a half blog articles. And that was pretty expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, the, the, it, the kind of, the, the last point that, that I'll make, and, and this might be a good spot to, to kind of wrap up is, is to, to what you said that, you know, why this person will never go out of, out of use or out of style at, at your business. And we've, um, as a company, been really impressed and influenced by Donald Miller, the author of Marketing Made Simple, Building a Story Brand, et cetera. And he says, he was talking about website design, but the, the, um, the analogy holds. He says like words and pictures are, or sorry, he says like pictures are, are nice and, and beautiful and, and helpful, but words sell things. It's words that sell things. Whether that's a script, whether that's website copy, whether that's an article, whether that's a you know a sales email, like whatever it is, words are what do it. And if you don't have that expert, you're you're always you're always kind of playing catch up. Why would you trust the one thing that sells your business to someone who doesn't work for you? And who is incentivized to just keep you happy, but never to go the extra mile. In fact, Agency employees are not incentivized to go the extra mile for the most part. And I don't say that because they're not hard workers. And I don't say that because they don't, in a lot of ways, pull those late nights, make that miracle campaign happen. I am in no way diminishing that. My point is that in order to keep that agency relationship profitable for the business that they report to, who, who has the goals that they are actually chasing and trying to keep happy and in the green there's always going to be a limit. Always. So hire us, Wardeners. We love you and we want to help. And also the journalism industry is like hemorrhaging people left and right. If you need people to pick up right now, now is the time. Sad state for our community newspapers, but a great time for people looking for content. joy in life. John, take us to Learning Corner. Teach me something. So my Learning Corner is very, is very simple this week, Liz, but uh, it's, it's really worth, <laughs> it's worth saying. While I don't, let me, let me, let me try to phrase this in the best way possible. My, my advice is use a thesaurus. I love that. That, that. That's it. That's it. That doesn't mean I want you to like write something and then go back and say like, I don't want to say I was skeptical. I want to say I was, wait, wait. I want to say I was dubious or I want to say I was, you know, I don't know, incredulous. Like what, like that's not the point. That's not what I mean. But I'm a writer. You're a writer, Liz. People will come to me and be like, wait, wait I'm trying to say like, what's a good word for this? And like, I don't have a magical repository of all of the words of the English language. I have a dictionary 
and it's on the toolbar in the bottom of my desktop and I use it all the time. And I use this thesaurus all the time. It's there, it's, it's not to like the thing you would do in high school where you would like sprinkle in the vocabulary words to make yourself sound smarter. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if it, it's, a, it's, a, it's the most efficient tool that, that I use daily, if not hourly, to like find that right word just because there's gonna be a list. I'm not looking for a synonym. I'm looking for a word that's similar and is gonna more effectively and accurately suit my needs. And like, I could spend like 10 minutes walking around and pacing and trying to think of it, or I can click on a, 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 a dictionary and a thesaurus and find it in 30 seconds. Use a thesaurus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was almost about to cut you off. I'm like, wait a minute, Liz, that's so rude. Don't do that to your co-host. You love John. I, mostly because I was so excited that you suggested this one. I think sometimes people feel like they pick up a thesaurus and they're cheating. And like, no, the more you learn words, different words, the more you'll expand your, your vocabulary and the more you will become a powerful content writer and copywriter. I think it's really important to understand why we always encourage people to just read read anything. It doesn't have to be in your industry. You always become a better writer the more you consume how other people write. You also are going to have situations where like, you know, you're reading a book and you're like, I don't know what that word is. And then all of a sudden, poop, there it is. You now know a new word. Like I learned assignation this week, which sounds like something very close to assassination, but it really, it means a clandestine meeting between two lovers. I learned that from Agatha Christie, by the way. I've been binging Poirot, the David Suchet uh, masterpiece theater mystery. Okay, obviously I'm outing myself as an inner 80 year old, but I love it and it was amazing. But they kept saying the word assignation over and over again. So I finally looked it up and now I'm like, I'm going to use that in a sentence. <laughs> I've found a chance to use it yet, but it's going to happen. It's but my point yeah. remains like people view like the source is cheating. No, no. The source.com is one of the most common things I go to. One of my most common searches is blank synonym, blank antonym, you know, things like that. So could yeah. not recommend that one. hundred percent. Okay. Liz, what are you reading right now? Well, speaking of, it doesn't matter what you read, just read something. I got, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. So I've been doing a lot of for work reading and not a lot of for pleasure reading. And I was starting to feel my brain kind of like the two dust particles in my brain. So like, just kind of like misfiring. Like it was just getting to be too much work and not enough play. Um, so I've spent the past four or five weeks reading through, okay, get ready guys. James Patterson, the, the godfather, beautiful, right? No, he's like a trashy mystery novel and it's amazing. So he writes like a bunch of movies that murder mysteries that have been made into movies, like Along Came a Spider and yada, yada. And I've been reading through the women's murder club mystery series. And I don't have any especially big takeaways from the book. What I will say is that it was a good reminder of something that I mentioned earlier. And I always love how you and I never coordinate what our learnings and our readings are, but there always seems to be some sort of connection. It's always good to read anything, anything. It doesn't matter if it's related to your job, related to your industry, or it's just something where it's like, if I could, I'd put a different book over it so people can't see what I'm reading. <laughs> but. 
Because for example, I'm picking up little things like, oh man, that's a really interesting way to do pacing. Oh, that was a really great way to do a lot of verbal exposition. So he didn't get stuck in paragraphs of detail. Like you, if you were a native writer or content creator by trade, no matter what you read, you are always going to be picking something up. It's kind of like when you become an adult and every movie you watch, you suddenly start picking up like, man, that's a great light fixture. I know this is a horror movie and somebody's being slaughtered in the background, but I think I saw that table at Crate and Barrel and I think it might be on sale. Like it's the same kind of thing. Like when you pick up writing as a profession of any kind, whenever you're reading somebody else's work, you're always going to be learning something. So I highly recommend you doing that. If you like murder mysteries, I mean, these aren't like the greatest murder mysteries ever made, but they're really fast. They're really easy. They're like brain candy. And I think the important thing is don't always go into the reading exercise with the intent to learn. It will happen organically. And also there is something to be said for giving your brain a break and just reading something fun. You can't always be actively learning. Sometimes your brain just needs a break. You just need a trashy novel. It's summer yeah. anyway. Go to the beach. Read something that's going to read a page turner. Read a page turner. And with that, I think we turned the page on yet another episode. I see uh, what you did there. Okay. Segway I know. Wow. Well. Um, absolutely. I think a really interesting conversation that Obviously, it's the tip of the iceberg, and that iceberg is incredibly complex and varied, and uh, it's hard to generalize. But it's something that we don't we don't talk about all that often. That bringing your content in house is potentially a, a way cheaper option, in addition to being more efficient, more effective, uh, and, and just a, a better strategy. I love it. And with that, until next week, John. Until next week, this. All right. And to everybody else, have a great week. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.